Welcome back to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. Today, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Minimal, the Chief Executive of the Design Council, the UK's National Strategic Advisors for Design. Minnie began her career in advertising, design, innovation and strategic consultancy before moving into retail. Prior to joining the Design Council earlier this year, Minnie was Chief Executive of Gerald Retail in Norwich, an outstanding, experiential retailer with an award-winning department store. And interesting enough, I actually worked with them about 15 years ago. So I think um, much, much, much before your time. But we have, we do have a thing in common, small world, isn't it? Yeah. So first off today, Minnie, how are you? I'm really good, really good. And thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to talk to you about everything that's going on. So you're relatively new to your role at Design Council. Could you tell us a little bit more about what led you to take on this job? What an amazing role it is. I will. So... I reflected when I was interviewing for the role that actually, to some extent, it's kind of coming full circle. My degree was in creative arts. The first half of my career was in what I'd say was commercial creativity, you know, as you've mentioned, uh, design, innovation, et cetera, and, and, then, and then the retail. So sort of, I think the retail bit in the middle has been really helpful because I've been a business leader and I've applied design you know, in the real world, commercially. So I saw the ads popping up in LinkedIn, the Design Council, and yeah, it felt like, in some respects, coming full circle. Um, and I'm loving it. You know, it's a fantastic organisation, great heritage, great reputation, and I think a chance to make a real difference. Yeah, sounds fascinating. So what's the Design Council's role within government, industry and for business? You know, how does all that work? Not a lot of people know that Design Council was created in by Winston Churchill's government in 1944, coming out of the Second World War with the express purpose to put design at the heart of building back industry and the economy after the war. It's then, so for, for years, it was um, absolutely a non-departmental part of government. And actually the chapters over the decades, it's had different emphasis. There was a period where we did an enormous amount internationally. We took kind of great design on tour around the world. There's periods where um, it's been very, very much about product um, design, but always um, as a thought leader, on, on design and actually the, it's that looking back at the chapters which has informed the next chapter which we have just announced which is our new mission to design for planet and what we mean by that is to the design council is going to be putting our efforts and focus into design that puts planet front and center so that design can be part of addressing the climate crisis. You know, and in doing so, one of the key things we're going to be doing, first of all, is galvanising and supporting the 1.69 million people in the design economy in the UK to support them to design for planet. You know, design shapes the world. Every single thing that we design going forward is going to make things better or worse, or arguably 
the same. So design has an absolutely critical role for us to meet net zero and beyond. So there's this sense that we've always been about um, design making life better. Uh, and right now, I don't think there's anything that's much more in the public service than to use design to try and help save the planet. Mm. I was talking to my mum about it this weekend. My mum's 73 and, you know, grown up in the era where there wasn't a lot of packaging and you'd go down the shops and get your fruit and veg, you'd pop it in your basket and bring it home. We are surrounded by packaging. So is that a little bit of contradiction to the world of design almost? Because some of the things we design, obviously, that create jobs in the industry also contribute towards the planet waste and all that sort of stuff. How does that, I mean, how do you tackle that? So there's no question that design has been part of the problem. Absolutely no question. And there's, and there's still a lot of design going on that is not, not helping. I think that one of the key things for me about the body language and attitude that Design Council will have around this is not finger wagging. It has to be hopeful and positive. It has to be um, realistic that we're all in transition. You know, everyone keeps using that word transition. It is a transition. It will be a transition. But the fact remains, we have got to redesign nearly every aspect of how we live our lives. We have to. We really, really have to. And, and we're still getting our heads around that. So, so it's not about finger wagging. But, but we've actually got to look at how, as creative problem solvers, we can still be commercial, we can still help businesses and brands thrive, but we have to put planet, um, planet uh, front and forward when we're doing that. So I think you mentioned before we came on the podcast, you just come back from a Tory conference. So what yeah. were the sort of highlights around that? Because I know that the festival's fast approaching. How did that all sort of work for you? So we were, uh, we went to the Labour conference as well the week before. We were very much um, tapping into the events, speeches and so on that were around net zero, understandably. And the key things that were coming up, everyone, of course, talking about the COP26, talking about the opportunity that presents, uh, very um, excited and proud that we're hosting it here in Glasgow. And... So there was lots of pressure being put on the politicians about how are we going to make sure it gets traction and, and really, really happens. Um, I have to say, I was hugely impressed with Alok Sharma. I was lucky enough to be in a couple of really small group sessions with him. I felt really heartened that he is the one out there uh, as an ambassador and speaking to business leaders, hugely impressed by him. And actually, his own, he was very smart talking about his own daughter who became vegetarian at 15 and then now is 19 and vegan and has been putting pressure on her dad. And, you know, I can really relate to that um, pressure from my 23-year-old identical twin daughters, just thinking, you real grown-ups, what on earth do you think you're doing? This is an emergency. Get on with it. So... It was really, really good to be at the party conferences. And actually two things on that, which we're thrilled about. The first is that we are running a Design for Planet two-day festival in support of COP26. We're doing ours in the glorious V&A Dundee. And uh, 
shamelessly promoting that for anyone who really wants to hear some fantastic speakers we've got lined up for two days. Check out designforplanet.org to see the list of speakers and register for the free event. And then the second thing we're really, really pleased about is that Design Council have been invited into the Blue Zone, which is the high security uh, part of COP where all the world business leaders will be. And there's a very small number of organisations given a chance to be in that space and have a voice. And we're in there, which is great for raising the profile of design and the importance so what sort of speakers have you got? Can you tempt us with a few a few highlights? Uh, let me start with the one I'm particularly excited about. Kate Raworth, the economist who's written Donut Economics. Um, she's an economist. She is also a designer. She wouldn't say that she was, but she talks about design so eloquently. Uh, we've got her. She's going to be absolutely phenomenal. There's an amazing guy called Indy Johar. Many people may know of him. We've actually also got some, um, some business leaders as well, just in case anyone hears this and nudges him. We're still trying to get Johnny Ive to, even if it's just a, a pre-record, uh, into the session. So a lot, of, a lot of really good speakers. So one of the things we really love to focus on is this thing around bold thinking. And, and obviously, having just come through a, a pandemic, I'm feeling pretty positive about the world, I have to say. It's been a really, really tricky time for the industry, for people, for individuals, for families. But I think one of the things that sort of comes from design, creativity, is this bold thinking and this ability to sort of think beyond, think big, think great. So what does bold thinking mean to you? Well, so first off, I love the word bold. I just think it is a brilliant word. Um, Bravery is one of the first things that comes to mind. There's that sense of the bravery to bring something new to the table. But to me, though, brave, bold thinking is also wholehearted, not tentative. It's got the volume turned up. It's, it, it has cut through. Bold thinking has cut through, whether that's through clutter of the conversation in the room, clutter of ideas, whether it's the clutter of the, the the sort of sea of sameness. So there's this real sense to me that it that it um, cuts through. It's um, it's you know what if thinking, pushing possibilities. But for me personally, bold thinking also creates a really visceral response. You feel it. It's a bit uncomfortable, and the many marketing teams that I've led in my career, any of them that would listen to this would smile. I have made it so clear to them always that when they present their ideas or work to me, I, I really want them to make me feel something. I want them to make me tingle, laugh, cry, feel a bit scared, like, oh, can we do that? Can we say that? Um, so it's it's quite a yeah I kind of really feel it and I, I know that you know and like Brene Brown and so you might uh, relate to this is one of her books Dare Greatly and there's that brilliant bit in there which is a quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt and it's about the person that dares go into the arena 
you know, not the critic standing by, the, but the person that dares to go into the arena and the heat and the pain and the struggle of it. So, so I, to some extent, I think bold thinking is daring greatly. Thank you, Brené Brown. Girl crush. No, I, I totally believe in it. It's almost that whole thing about believing in a new landscape, a new wilderness, a new environment, and what can that be? And I think being in the world that we're incredibly looking grateful. I have a few friends of mine recently who said to me, oh, my son's really wants to go to uni and study in the arts, whether it's fine art, creative art, something to do with the arts industry. And I always thought I wanted them to be another industry that's a lawyer, accountant, whatever. And I'm saying, because, and I always say, why? And they're saying, because, well, can't really see the jobs at the end of it, what they're going to do, how are they going to earn more money, how are they going to do it? And it always amazes me. How do you sort of like prepare for that if you speak to people's parents and they don't want to go into that design world because there's a perceivable, I don't know, value, whether it's money, time, whatever. How how do you talk about that? Yeah, and one thing just to, to, to pick up on quickly is education. I mean, one thing we we feel very strongly about at Design Council is that in the last 10 years, design technology as a, a curriculum subject, you know, has decreased by about 50% over 10 years, as in the number of young people doing it. And that's heartbreaking because it's all about thinking differently. It's about making things. It's about that brilliant thing that design does, which takes an idea and a vision and makes it real in the world. So that's not good that the pipeline's being turned off. I think we, part of the seismic change that we're going through at the moment, I hope, is about how we start to value different things more and creative problem solving. How important is that? How important is that? And and sorry to, you know, all the accountants out there. I only mean this lightly, but it's a great um, phrase from someone I heard years ago about actually in a cricket match, you know, the umpire keeps the score. It's the batsman who, who, who scores the runs. And if you think of the batsman as the creative, the person who, who whacks the ball, the accountants just keep the score. They don't make the runs. They don't make the score. And so... There's something there to me about, and uh, it's why I'm far more interested in hitting the runs than than keeping the tally. I'm with you. I mean, I know my my son next year is sitting his GCSEs, and I'm from a family of artists. My husband's an artist as well, so we've got generations of it. And I said to him, you know, he's a brilliant artist. My son, I said, well, you know, why aren't you doing art or design or technology? Because 80% of it is written. And he's already doing lots and lots of written subjects. So actually the practicality of drawing just doesn't really come into it anymore. And I've just been stunned by it. Cause it's a real shame we are not going to, if we're not careful, grow a fertile ground of, I literally can sit on an A4 sheet of paper and draw a business model. Drawing is everything. You know, it's not just a yes. picture. It's an expression. Yes. It's a psyche. It's many, many more things, isn't it? It, it really is. And again, this thing about our ability to make, do, draw. Uh, a big theme that came up in one of the sessions at one of the conferences was about apprenticeships. You know, we've become obsessed as a nation with everyone going to university. Please, God, that actually as a result of uh, what that experience is, has been in the last couple of years, and just a just sense is going to mean that we're going to really value things like apprenticeships. 
as an absolute viable alternative and, and a really great choice and a great thing to go and do instead of going to university. Mm, I'm, I'm with you around that. If you have to think about bold thinking and boldest ideas, what do you think your boldest idea has been and how did you make it happen? So I'm going to have to answer that by saying it is actually the idea I'm in and living with right now, which is the whole notion of Design for Planet for the Design Council. And actually, um, I remember this morning that when I was sharing the thought with the chair of the Board of Trustees of Design Council, fantastic man, listen, I think we need to do this. I think we need to become sole focused. He actually said, couldn't agree more, Minnie, I'm right behind you, go bold or go home, is what he said. I thought, that's the kind of chair I'm lucky enough to have, go bold or go home. And in some respects, you could say it's not that bold. Design Council already had a strategy which was three-pronged, sustainability, um, skills, and health and well-being. But by having three, you know, if, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And it's that, that Design Council's never gone sole focus before. So that, I guess, is the bold bit. But in some ways, it's kind of obvious. So, so I do look at it now and think that it has been bold thinking to introduce a new mission to a 76-year-old organisation just four months into my role. And way faster than I ever would have done normally in other roles I've gone into. I've always driven change. But... I knew it was right. I knew it was the right thing to do. And, and actually, back to the feeling, serendipity, a number of things happened. One is I was thinking about, we do need sharper focus. My twin daughters, being very appalled at the lack of urgency around climate crisis. And I tell you, one thing that seriously tipped me into the aha moment was the David Attenborough film. I'd read the book, A Life on Our Planet, but I hadn't seen the film. And I watched the film and I cried during several parts of it. And I felt absolutely appalled at the, the arrogance and greed of the human race about how we have treated the rest of the living and sort of sentient beings that live on this planet with us. That I, you know, it really was a tipping point. And then th there was another thing I think that helped me just really feel, yes, you just have to kind of get on with this. It's a great Greta Thunberg quote, um, her talking about cathedral thinking, which I didn't, I'd never heard of, didn't quite know what she meant. And cathedral thinking is when we must lay the foundation while we may not know exactly how to build the ceiling. And I thought, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And COP26 is coming really soon. We're either on that train or we're not. Let's run with it. So then, of course, it was absolutely about uh, bringing the team with me, listening to the team, sharing my thinking as, as it went. I also spoke to as many external people as I could. What would you think if the Design Council took this stance? Um, various people were hugely supportive. No one, many people said, you know, yeah, about time. And actually, Kate Raworth, back to her, 
wife also have a girl crush on Kate Raworth. She said at the end of our call, if you're not designing for planet, what planet are you on? And I thought, yep, thank you, Kate. I'll run with that. So, so, so yes, actually, right now, I would say it's one of the boldest ideas I've been been part of. It's in the early days and it's going to need all kinds of brilliant people and experts to help guide us on where design will have the most impact and where design council will have the most impact. But what, you know, the final, final thing is unequivocally design has a critical role to play in us meeting that zero and beyond. So, you know, when you just, it just fits, of course, this is what we should be doing. I mean, it makes absolute total sense. I'm always amazed, you know, if you think about that. I think that's, I read something like 80 million species on the planet. We've been, the Earth's been alive for 4.5 billion years. And, and actually, you turn on the news and it only talks about one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's half the problem, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it really just like, is. you know, let's lead from every area. And I think if design can be at the forefront, the pinnacle, the shining light in this, then that's an amazing thing to aim towards. And that sort of rolls to my next question, really, which is what do you think people want or need from brands today? Literally, I have, I have crushes on social entrepreneurialism these days. And we had an interview with um, Jamal, who heads up Change Please for Homeless, a social entrepreneurial business. And you know, what what do you think people want and need from brands today? Just picking up on the point about entrepreneurs during the crisis, didn't we see some phenomenal, you know, what a lot of people call pivoting, but some of them were so beautiful and kind of circular economy. You know, there was a lovely one local to me at the time in Norwich, and it was um, Z Bikes, as the name suggests, bikes um, bombing stuff around Norwich. You know, so Gerald at the time started doing delivery of food as well as all the other stuff we were selling, delivered by Z bikes by bicycle to key parts of Norwich so fast. You know, people were ordering things and just couldn't believe how quickly they'd got there. And the sense of community and the sense of Norwich pride, so many lovely ideas that were coming up during that. And we need to keep hold of that and keep that going through. The other things I think people need um, from brands, whatever size, real sustainable principles and practices. And honesty to say, you know, we're on a journey, we haven't cracked it all yet, but here's what we're doing, here's what we're, where, where we're seeking to change. Honesty and transparency. I mean, that's not, we've needed that for a while. But any brands that don't realise that is how important that is now, um, absolutely key. I think that in terms of uh, service, Amazon have set the bar so high, not just in terms of delivery, but actually a bunch of other things, they're really good on service. So there is some hard stuff as well. People, I know I expect really, really good service, whatever it is. Um, and warmth and authenticity, because as we diverge and you've got the stuff that's more commodity, where I want it to be easy and convenient, tick. We then also, from the other end, want um, warmth, human contact, experience, stories, you know, to really feel part of something. 
So those brands that do what kind of either end of that really, really well, I think will thrive. The ones who are kind of muddled in the middle, mm. watch out. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'd like to question around this sort of service service at what expense? Because I'm really worried about the amount of Amazon deliveries and the amount of boxes and stuff like that. So yeah. if you as a yeah. human or an individual were prepared to look at your carbon footprint, the delivery of the vans and the drivers and the cars and the boxes and the recycling of the boxes versus actually going somewhere and picking something up, I think it feels to me more and more brands are going to have to be accountable for the trade-off. So I want something fast, but is that trade-off going to mean lots of recycling of cardboard, lots of extra fumes in the air? What is my trade-off? And I think that's a bit I'd like to see because I think that's a bit about the pandemic that most worries me is it has created this new you know, economy that has just accelerated it. But where where is that going to go? Where does that end up? Yeah, I think that is just such a good point because to some extent it does come back to that, you know, that immediacy and I want it now is again, there's a kind of selfishness about it, isn't there? Um, and it's like the antithesis of the slow movement, you know, and I'm, which I think that idea of us slowing things down. So I don't know if, where it's going to go, but but there are absolute consequences of it, and we're not really talking about them. I mean, bricks and mortar businesses are talking about the gross injustice of business rates and, and so on, and the fact that all, you know, all the white vans on the road are polluting and clogging up, you know, delivering everything for online brands. But we do, that's one of the whoppers. We need to think that through because there have to be consequences for that. So how optimistic are you for, for the sort of the, the coming year? I was born positive, so I'm an incredibly positive person. However, we do need every body to believe that this is a crisis and act with urgency so, so that, you know, we have got a future on the planet. So I, we do need to get more of a sense of urgency. But, and... I absolutely passionately that we can all do well and do good. You know, they go hand in hand. I think the pace of change is not going to slow down. It's not. It's going to get kind of even faster. So we've all got to really, we've got to really look at business models, how we do well, exactly the point you were just making. We've really got to look at systemically how we do things and be much more fluid and prepared to adapt and change. And um, and I would bring this back to bold thinking. We have to have bold thinking and, and dare greatly because really it is the bold and agile that will survive. Yeah. I think for me, I've been giving this a lot of thought back to your sort of Brenny Brown and a massive sort of fan of all this thing. It's it's that sort of like changing your inner landscape, your inner inner feelings, your inner thoughts, your inner beliefs, your inner things to actually really change and shape the outer world. So I think it's almost like that educational bit of like your inner self is really important. And then we can then start affecting and changing everything around us. It just feels like we're at a pivotal time now, doesn't it? Really, really seriously. And I've thought about how much I feel this more acutely with my age. And, you know, having daughters that are young adults, 
But I do. I think it's really seismic. I, I, th- I feel tingly. I feel tingly just even talking about it. This is seismic. This is the equivalent of the generation that lived through the war and what it was to be, you know, hearing the doodlebugs above and, and the threat of war. This is, this is now for us. This is our, our moment. It's a very uncomfortable moment very uncomfortable moment there's another fantastic quote which is um about women but i think it probably applies to everyone uh women are like tea bags you know how strong they are when you put them in hot water and i and i think we're in hot water we're in hot water and we need to all show how strong we are couldn't agree. Well, I was really lucky. I probably said this a couple of times. I really lucky. I met the um, Dalai Lama about six years ago. One of my best friends um, worked with his secretary, and we had about fifteen minutes chat with him. And one of the things I did speak about, and I've got two boys, so you know what, I love absolutely sitting on the equal fence of of life. But he did say, you know, for the world to change, he said um, we need more women to be Mother Earth, Earth and Nature, to look after nature. And he thought the next Dalai Lama was going to be a woman. And we had we had a lot of glorious little chats about it. But I'm 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 sort of with you. I think it's got to be a time now of yes, we can fly to Mars and populate the stars but I think equally so it's time for mother nature isn't it and and I'm you know what Minnie I think um, we've spoke a few times now but I think if anyone can do it you can I mean the energy <laughs> feeling intelligence and motivation you've got I'm personally so excited you're at the forefront of the of the design council I absolutely am I think it's I think it's absolutely brilliant so what do you feel like you need to give you fertile ground to thrive got such an amazing personality and a brilliant energy what are you looking for people to help you with? how can we help as a community of design to make you shine and grow because you're a plant in the in the forest and we need to nurture you as well yeah oh so um when i was at what if one of the things we spoke about as one of the behaviors for innovation was greenhousing um warmth sun and water so I know that I, as a person, I need another. I need other radiators. I just love bouncing and growing ideas with people, and the interactions I've had with everyone I've met across the design sector so far, just fantastic. Design Council doesn't have all the answers. I sure as heck don't. You know, back to the build the foundation, and we'll work out how we build the ceiling together as we go. So, you know, I go out with that open heart, wanting feedback and input. So yeah, that's what I need from people. Mm, I can really, really tell that. So if we, if the community want to feed in, what do we do? How do we sort of access you? How do we give you our ideas? How do we sort of become part of this? Yeah. So, okay. One thing, and this is, you know, there's, there's no money involved here, but actually of the festival, um, the festival in November, we hope as many people will come to that as possible, you know, join that virtually for some of it, all of it, um, because there'll be opportunities there to feed in thoughts and so on. So that's one place. And also the more there's shared experience about the things that people hear, some of the speakers will be quite provocative. So the more people hear that and kind of say, yes, what if maybe, and that would be brilliant because the shared experience, anyone who wants to contact me directly at design council, 
Oh, careful. Seriously. You're going to get a million emails after this. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, bring it on, bring it on. Um, I'm not hard to find. It's it's mini.mall at designcouncil.org.uk. Um, so, yeah, and then they're gonna, we're hoping to actually have ongoing more convening, more events, ways that we all together can get a bit of a movement. I think we do need to feel like there's a bit of a movement and that uh, stronger, more powerful together. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think think you're right. I mean, I'm one of the favourite of Steve Jobs saying when you look back, it's only then you look back, you can see the, the dots connecting. And I think that's it. These tiny sort of changes that we make now are going to really shape the future generations and how we how we sort of believe and think. Really, really loved uh, talking to you today, Minnie. Thank you for joining us. Um, and thank you for listening to Bold Thinking, Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told. If this episode has got you thinking, um, which I think it certainly has for me and the team here, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, or email Minnie directly. There you've got her email address. Um, or contact us at hellothehonestbrand.com. Um, join me next time for, to hear from someone who's making positive change in the world. And I really, really feel very excited about you at the helm of design and that world and everything that you're doing. So we want to be here to support you, Minnie. Thank you for that. It's been really inspiring. Loved it. Thank you. Brilliant to chat to you.